you're new to Abundant Life, we've got some great opportunities for you to get involved, engaged, and connected with the ALCF community. Check out alcf.net forward slash connect for more info or contact Jeff Gilman at jeff.gilman at alcf.net. Everyone has influence. The Global Leadership Summit is a unique opportunity to invite those in your sphere of influence to join you in receiving the best professional development from a diverse, world-class faculty. Stop by the chapel on Sunday, May 19th at noon to find out how you can share this amazing opportunity. As part of our Vision 2020 campaign, we've put together six incredible short-term missions trips to three different locations, Mexico, the Philippines, and Zambia. I'd love to share a little testimony about my last experience in Mexico. Um, As I had called my Uber driver to take me to the airport, I was shortly picked up thereafter. And um, as we're driving, leaving my home, he says, you know, why are you going to SFO and what are you going to be doing? And I said, I'm going down to Mexico to build some homes for those in poverty. And he literally stopped his car to the side of the road and turned around and says to me, man, I can't thank you enough for what you guys do down there. Something about a home gives these people hope. It gives them a purpose. They feel more established. And um, that just told me right there that what we're doing down there is a blessing from God. He is truly speaking through us into the lives and hearts of these people. And it is an honor and a joy to be able to carry out his will here on earth. So with that, we've got some upcoming mission trips scheduled to Mexico. What we'll be doing there is serving those in poverty by constructing churches and homes in the community for the pastors of Tijuana and Baja, California. The trip is scheduled for June 21st through 24th. We've got a second trip scheduled for August 22nd through the 25th. You can go online, submit a short-term application, and register today. Go to alcf.net slash global missions or go to the contributor station after service where you can also pick up a bookmark and a Vision 2020 wristband. Join us for a morning of general cleaning in and around the ALCF facility on Saturday, May 25th from 8 a.m. to 12 noon. This is a perfect project for your small group or family. We'll be sanitizing SK classrooms, power washing, spot cleaning carpeting, retouching paint, changing lighting, and more. For details, contact Arcadio Ramos at facilities at alcf.net or call 408-499-8043. If you're new to Abundant Life and want to learn about our story, vision, and values, be sure to join Pastor Brian at our guest luncheon, This is ALCF. The event takes place on Sunday, June 23rd from 12 to 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups and check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world. Now, Father, on this Mother's Day, would you speak to us? Would you give us a word, Lord God, that would challenge and inspire us? Uh, Both a word for mothers and a word for men as well. We want to leave here better people. Uh, Why else would we come to church and carve time out? Uh, If this is just business as usual and we just do this because it's just a nice thing to do, followed by brunch and then watching some basketball games or whatever it is we do, God, that's not what it's about. It's about encountering a living, holy God. And we know that when we encounter you, we don't stay the same. So change us today. To that end, that I'm available to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
I'm especially grateful, and uh, I want to encourage you to join me in uh, just applauding our worship team. We're in a season of transition, and they are doing a phenomenal, a phenomenal job. So we are grateful for them. Uh, please mark down on your calendars June 9th. Uh, we don't come here to see individuals. We come here to see God. Uh, but that being said, um, a good friend of mine who is an anointed worship leader by the name of Montel Jordan is coming here to lead worship on June 9th. Uh, unless you're in that 30 to 45 corridor, what I just said doesn't make any sense to you. I get it, but, you know, this is how we do it. Anyways, um, if you didn't get that, you'll be blessed. Um, anyways, I want to encourage you with that. Genesis chapter 38. Here we go. This is going to be a little spicy. Here we go. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. It just got Jerry Springerish. And raise up offering for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. What a Mother's Day text. <laughs> and what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, she was daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Aneum, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that um, Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. Now, most commentators tell us that her dress here is the dress of a betrothed woman looking to get married. It's important. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. So the man thinks he's getting a prostitute. She thinks she's getting ready for marriage. If I had more time. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. 
She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her. By the way, this is the equivalent of giving her his wallet. The signet was like your driver's license. It was your identity. So when he has sex with her, he gives his identity away. If I had more time. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Aeneum at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. See, this is if I had more time. You see the double standard when it comes to sex here? So he can get down and do his dirt and nothing happens. But she does her dirt, let her be burned. If I had more time. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, my baby daddy is the one to whom these belong. I'm pregnant. And she said, please identify who's... These are the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Happy Mother's Day. Normally, I like to begin with a story. We ain't going to do that today. We're going to get right into it. The protagonist of our story is a woman by the name of Tamar. And one of the things you notice about Tamar is the narrative of her life is filled with chapter upon chapter of sorry men. The first man who comes into her life is a man by the name of Ur, E-R. We don't know what Ur looks like. We, um, we don't know much about him, but the Bible simply describes this brother with one word. He's wicked. What a legacy. Of all the things for a man to be labeled. 
Bible has nothing good to say about him, but he's wicked. In the Hebrew, it means to be low down, godless, abusive. That's the first man in her life. She gets hooked up with, betrothed to a wicked man. It's a huge term. We're not told anything specifically as it relates to how wicked is he. The Bible says he's so wicked that God kills him. Now that's wicked. When God peers over the balcony of heaven and pretty much says, I've seen enough. I'm calling your behind home. That's bad. Ike Turner probably ain't got nothing on her. What does his wickedness look like? Again, we don't know. In Hebrew, it suggests he's abusive. Maybe he puts his hands on her. Maybe not long into marriage, Tamar has done something that Ur doesn't like and hands get to flying. Maybe coupled with this or in place of this, he's verbally abusive, cutting her down, saying words that destroy. James chapter 3 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death, that the tongue is a fire, a little small thing that can destroy a whole house. So maybe he's constantly cussing her yelling at her, calling her names, telling her and reminding her of her weaknesses and her deficiencies. Maybe his abuse is, is more of the passive-aggressive kind. Maybe it's kind of with withdrawal. He, he won't be intimate with her. He, or if he is intimate with her because he doesn't esteem her, he, he, he kind of only uses her for selfish, utilitarian purposes. So I, I won't build you up, I won't encourage you, but, but when I have physical needs, let's just go ahead, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. That's Ur. Wicked and godless. And by the time Ur gets called out of here, this woman's self-confidence is gone. Because errs don't give life, they take life. Errs don't leave things better than what they found them. They leave them worse. Brothers, if your girl looks through the rearview mirror of her journey with you and she says, I ain't gotten better, your name is Err. She's with a er. But it doesn't get better. God says, I've seen enough. Er, you're out of here. <laughs> then Judah says, Onan, his second son, I need you to marry your now deceased brother's wife and get her pregnant. 
Now, Judah's instructions to, to Onan is actually biblical. If you look at the law, which would come later, it was just a practice back then. God was really concerned um, that for a woman, a widow who had, whose husband had died, not leaving her with any children, especially not leaving her with any sons, God was concerned that um, this now deceased man, uh, that, that, that he would have a legacy, So he wanted this man's um, line and legacy to continue even posthumously. And the way God would secure that is by having the now deceased man's brother go in and impregnate his wife. Now, I know some of you are thinking, thank God that law ain't still binding today. So Onan has one job. Marry your brother's wife. Get her pregnant on behalf of your now deceased brother so that your brother's line and legacy will continue. Onan doesn't want to do that. And part of me understands. Onan doesn't want to do that because Onan has his own biological kids. And if he fathers other kids, those other kids will now eat into his biological kids' inheritance. So Onan says, I don't want to do it. Now, up until this point, who can blame Onan? But here's where I got a problem with Onan. Okay, Onan, you don't want to get your brother's wife pregnant. That's fine. Don't have sex with her. But that's not what he does. I don't want to get you pregnant, but I'll still have sex with you. Why? Because I want the pleasure and the privilege. I just don't want the responsibility. That's Onan. He's a boy trapped in a man's body. He wants the privileges of adulthood. He wants the spoils. He just don't want the responsibility. Ladies, some of y'all are in relationship with Onan. You've heard me say it before. One of the great epidemics of American modern society is we have too many boys and not enough men. We have too many Onans, boys who are trapped in a man's body, boys who who will shack up with you but won't put a ring on it. Thank you, 12 people. Yeah, Steve Harvey was right. Boys play house. Men make homes. That's Onan. Onan is an expert in Fortnite, but is a loser in life. Onan is a social media warrior, getting on Facebook and Twitter, pontificating on the world's problems, but he ain't moved out of his mama's house. Onan has an opinion on everything, but doesn't have the courage to finish college and finish grad school and get a job and live on his own. And sadly, a lot of women perpetuate Onans. 
coddling moms. Or girlfriends who think they can change him. That's owning. He ain't a man. He's a boy. What does God do with this boy? God peers over the balcony of heaven and does him like he did his brother. You're out of here. When a man doesn't embrace his responsibilities for manhood, he will not experience the blessings of God on his life. So I want to be very clear. We preach grace here. But brothers, if you're shacking up with a woman, you can never expect to experience the fullness of what God has for you. If you are laying up with a woman, you are not in the bullseye of what God has for your life. Well, pastor, where's the grace in that? The fact that you're living to hear me. But I ain't done. Happy Mother's Day. The next man in her life is Judah. What's Judah's problem? The brother lacks integrity. He has sex with his daughter-in-law. Now granted, he doesn't know it's his daughter-in-law. He just thought it was a prostitute. As if that makes it better. He's a man who's governed by impulse, not by conviction. We know this because when he's negotiating with Tamar, he doesn't even have the compensation on him to pay for her services. Which means he sees her, he wants her, and he does it. There's no conviction. There's no strong moral compass here. He's a man led by impulse and not by integrity. What's more is, after his two sons die, he's got a third son who's really young, Shelah. He, he says, verse 11, Tamar, you go home, wait on Shelah. But everything in the text says he has no intention of following through on his word. Women, ever been with a man who you've just learned over time, you can't trust what they say? What is integrity? The integrity is the alignment of words with deeds. It's a little thumbnail definition I've been given to my boys since the time they were young. Uh, men of integrity, godly men, do what they say. And when they don't, they apologize. I told you some years ago, growing up, I grew up uh, in Atlanta. I'm a big-time Atlanta Falcons fan. But growing up, I grew up in the 80s. My, my boy was Walter Payton. Sweetness. Love me some Walter Payton. In fact, y- y'all don't understand. I love Walter Payton so much, I did the unthinkable. I ate Wheaties. <laughs> Wheaties is the nastiest cereal known to humanity. It will not be at the feast of the new covenant. 
Now, why did I, I eat Wheaties? Because my boy, Walter Payton, was on the cover, was on the box of Wheaties. So I'm like, my boy eats Wheaties, so I'm going to eat Wheaties. That's just the cross I will bear. Now, my father is a preacher, an amazing preacher, and from time to time, sports teams would come in town and invite my dad to speak at chapel. One time, the Bears are in town. This is circa 1982, 1983. He's about 9, 10 years old at the time. And my dad comes to me and says, hey, son, the Bears are in town. They want me to speak at chapel. You want to go with me? Absolutely. My hero's there. So I go with my dad. Dad preaches. And then right afterwards, uh, the chaplain says, you want to do breakfast with the team? Oh, my gosh. Mind blown. And in the sovereignty of God, I sit at the same breakfast table as my hero. Walter Payton, and what I'm now seeing blows my mind because my boy ain't eating Wheaties, he's eating Raisin Bran. <laughs> now, I, I grew up in a home where you respect adults, right? So this thing is messing with me. I'm nine, ten years of age. I work up the cars. Mr. Payton, Mr. Payton, uh, I eat Wheaties because you eat Wheaties, but you're not eating Wheaties. You're eating raisin bread. Mr. Payton, what's going on here? I'll never forget what he said with a scowl on his face. He goes, oh, kid, I don't eat that stuff. That stuff's horrible. <laughs> you know, I never ate Wheaties again. <laughs> and in hindsight, the reason why I didn't was it struck me, all Wheaties was was a paycheck. All Wheaties was was a platform to extend his brand. I was devastated because my hero wasn't even buying what he was selling. Brothers, our world needs men who are going to eat their Wheaties. Men who will buy what they sell. We got enough brothers who are public successes and private failures. We need men of integrity. So what happens to a woman who surveys the narrative of her life and it's just filled with sorry men after sorry men after sorry men. The Bible says Tamar goes home to her parents' house and puts on her widow's garments. I want to be careful here. I am not saying or preaching that there needs to be codependency, that a woman can't be what she's been destined to be unless there's positive men in her life. Here's what I am saying. When there's just been sorry men in a woman's life from her daddy to relationships, something in a woman grieves. And what is she doing there? She's told to go there until Shelah, a boy, grows up to become a man. So literally, she is waiting on a man. There's a lot of women in our country filled with shalas who are waiting on shalah to put aside boyhood and embrace manhood. I told Pastor Gary this week as we wind things down, I've been struggling with this text all week. It's an unsavory story, is it not? 
I had to slap a movie rating on this story, maybe PG-13, probably rated R. What do we do here? It's been real dark. How do we get some hope here? And one of my struggles here, there are no moral examples in this story. The punchline is not be like Ur, don't be like Onan, don't be like Judah. And for sure, ladies, this text is not given you for how to catch a man. This text is not saying, you know, put on some seductive outfit and um, seduce your father-in-law. That is not the message of this text. But in some ways, I think that's exactly the point. See, Scripture is not given to us for us to ultimately make deity out of humanity. Scripture is not given to us for us to find moral examples out of flawed human beings. The punchline to every story is not what the humans teach us. It is what God teaches us. So what does this text teach us about how God, the ultimate man, views women? Brothers, take note. One of the first things we see in this text is that to God, women profoundly matter. See, it's interesting. Tamar is going through all of this hell with Ur, with Onan, with Judah, all of this hell. And it's just kind of the culture of the world. No men are stepping up. No men are defending her. The only man who has her back is God. God is the only one who actually does something. So that when she's going through all this hell, God is screaming through these pages, I got you. Ur, I'm calling you out of here. Onan, you won't step out of boyhood into manhood. I'm calling you out of here. He's just weeding out all of these bad men out of her lives. From Tamar's perspective, it looks like, well, man, it was just a stroke. It was just a heart attack. It was just whatever that killed him. But, but if she could sit next to God, she would see this is not happenstance. God is playing the role that no man in her society did play. He is being her protector. That's why, women, sometimes you just need to let God do what he needs to do in that relationship. Stop trying to hold on to Ur or to Onan when God is trying to put it to death. So what does this text teach us about God? It tells us that to God, women matter. All throughout our narrative, it is God screaming, Tamar, I haven't forgotten about you. Tamar, I got you. Tamar, I got you. Tamar, I got you. Psalm 68.5 says it this way, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And this same God also calls us men. So if God, the ultimate man, is protecting women, then we men need to protect, esteem, and value women. <laughs> Writing to husbands, Peter says, likewise, husbands, look at it with me. Live with your wives in an understanding way. I know, brothers, sometimes you don't think you can understand. You just, you know, just throw your, but live with them in an understanding way. 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now over the years, this text has been preached by misogynistic, sexist preachers wrongly. They camp out on the word weaker and kind of use it for inferiority. It is lazy, unbiblical exegesis. The word weaker in the Greek does not mean inferior. It can actually mean even more valuable. Let me explain it this way. My grandmother sometimes would throw parties in her house, and if a whole bunch of people came over and my grandmother didn't really feel like washing dishes, she'd give everybody paper plates. Those paper plates, you can do what you want to with them. Who cares if they fell? They're durable. But on special occasions, she wasn't going to break out the paper plates. She was going to go to her china cabinet and take out the fine china. In some sense, this fine china, yes, it's more brittle than the paper plates, but it's infinitely times more valuable. You handle those with care. They're they're weaker, but they're more valuable. In other words, what Peter is saying here is, brothers, your wives are not paper plates. They're not Tupperware. They're fine china. She's not one of the boys. She's valuable. And notice what he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, men, if you treat women wrong, get off your knees. Your prayers are hitting a ceiling. God is saying, stop kidding yourself. Me and you ain't right if the women I have placed in your life, you are not right with them. See, this kind of stuff is for grown folk. Marriage is for adults. Women matter. I'll never forget. When I was a boy, right around the time I ate breakfast with Walter Payton, my dad's outside cutting the grass. I'll never forget this. And he's cutting the grass, and mama walks out the house to get his attention. And as she's coming out the house, our drug addict neighbor across the street is high as a kite. And he starts cussing my mama. He calls her the B word. My dad stops the lawnmower and says, what did you just say? I said, boy, get your popcorn. This going to be good. Dad goes in the house, gets a crowbar, comes back out. Now, this brother's still on his side of the street. My dad's on his side of the street. My dad says, I love Jesus, but if you cross over here, I'm going to whoop you. And I was like, Pastor? (laughs) Pastor Loritz? What was he saying? This woman matters. Growing up, my dad was not a man given to anger. But there was two things that would really get him angry. One is lying. He always said, now, if you lie, tell your best one. (laughs) But secondly, if you want to set him off, 
let his wife say one of the kids were disrespectful, not to their mama, but to his wife. Now let's have a pastoral moment. Dads, it ain't funny watching your kids sass their mother. Some of the disrespect that men trapped in a boy's body levy on their girlfriends, they learned that they could do it at home to their mama with no consequences. So dads, your passivity is the problem. Some of these jokers need to be taken around. I'm in, I'm in California. I can't say that. I can't say that. I can't say that. I'm not preaching abuse. But there is a proverb that says, if you strike him, he won't die. No, no, I'm, I'm serious about this. And I would always, with my kids, when, when they were little, so that I wasn't out of control, I would say, you're getting three pops. Edit that out of this, please. I don't want this, this on YouTube. But it, it mattered to me. You can't talk to women that way. It's not funny. And men, stop being passive. And letting your kids, especially your boys... Get core curriculum in how to treat a woman wrongly. They need to respect. Secondly, what does this text teach us? Not only does women matter, secondly, it teaches us that there are no wasted moments. Here's Tamar. From Tamar's perspective, it's sorry man after sorry man after sorry man after sorry man. From Tamar's perspective, she's sitting in her house, grieving. But God is saying, Tamar, if you could sit down next to me, I want you to see it from my perspective. Again, these men, they didn't just die by happenstance. That was me protecting you. That relationship just didn't die. That was me protecting you. And not only that, the two men that died, Tamar, open your eyes. You get pregnant, and it's not by happenstance that you not only get pregnant, but you get pregnant with two kids, and not only just with two kids, with two men, I'm replacing the sorry dudes in your life with some new ones. And not only that, Tamar, one of your boys, Perez, is going to have a child by the name of David who will be king of Israel. And not only that, but you will have the Messiah who comes through your lineage. I can more than make up the difference for the sorry men in your life. From a mess to a monarchy, God is with women. I'll never forget when I was a little boy, right about the same time Walter Payton and I did breakfast. My mama grew up in the hood, the hood hood, North Philadelphia, 25th and Diamond. By the way, if you're ever in Philadelphia and you see a street called Diamond, stay away. 
from the hood. We grew up in the suburbs. And mama was concerned that she had soft kids. So one day, mama shocked me and my sister. I was about nine years old. My sister about five, six years old. She said, you getting on MARTA today, which is public transportation. She marched us up to the bus stop, marched us up to the bus, paid the bus fare, and left us. Me and my sister with all these adults saying, what in the world is going on up in here? We live on a cul-de-sac. We're crying. Me and my sister are crying our eyes out. Yeah, cut this out too. Um, Really, I had a great mama. She just spanked us and left us on uh, public transportation. But anyways, <laughs> we're crying and crying and crying. And here we are, stop after stop after stop. And about 20 minutes later, I, I just kind of look through the back window. And as I'm looking through the back window, a couple do- cars down, it's my mama following us. <laughs> and the tears stopped. And I knew I was going to be Okay. Because mama was following. Friends, if you look through the rearview mirror of your life, I'm here to tell you God's been following you. You've never been alone. You felt alone. But God has been ordering your steps. And he's been following you. David says it this way in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I'll fear no, fear, no, fear no evil for you are with me. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness and God's mercy is tracking with you. Finally, what do we learn here? Yeah, women matter. There are no wasted moments. But thirdly, our meaning, our true meaning can only be found in Christ. What do we do with Tamar? If her life's just all about having to deal with sorry men, there's nothing special about that, unfortunately. If her life is just about, I've dealt with sorry men and, 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 and against all odds, I've made it. Maybe that's a made-for-TV movie. Not sure, but on the scope of eternity, it's still nothing special. Why are we talking about this woman years later? Matthew 1, 1 through 3 tells us. Look at it with me. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. This blows my mind. You never included women in ancient genealogies. You didn't do that because in a patriarchal society, it was seen that women meant nothing. So you didn't include them. You only talked about the good men. Tamar is one of four or five women that God includes in the genealogy of Jesus. And all of them are women who, who are women of ill repute. There's prostitutes like Rahab. There's Bathsheba who committed adultery. There's Ruth the Moabitess. And here is Tamar who sleeps with her father-in-law. I, I love this. One of the things it's communicating is Jesus doesn't come from a sterile, everybody-did-it-right lineage. 
This is why I love Christianity. Because if Jesus had a messed up grandmama and a messed up great grandmama and all of these individuals, if Jesus will identify with them, I need that Jesus in my life because I haven't gotten it right. I've messed it up. I've said things I shouldn't have said. And Jesus says, if I can relate to Tamar, I can relate to you. So, men, if you've been sitting under the conviction of the Holy Spirit the last several moments and you go, I'm Ur, I'm Onan, the fact that you're here is God's grace saying, I haven't given up on you, I haven't turned my back on you, I still want to do something with your life. So what makes Tamar special? Jesus. What makes you special? Jesus. What makes me special? Jesus. It ain't your money. It ain't your business. It ain't the choices you've made because we've all made messed up choices. But the message of the Bible is as far as the East is from the West, is as far as he has removed our sin. God specializes in taking messed up people who made bad decisions, who used to be Ur's, who used to be Onan's, who used to do horrible things, and God says the world doesn't have the final say. If you will just submit to me where you are right now, I specialize in restoring the broken. So how will you respond? In the immediate, some of you ladies are with Ern with Onan by your choice. Your self-esteem is so low, you, th you think you can't do better than Ur. You think you can't do better than Onan. Jesus says, won't you give me a try? Why don't you let me step in? Some of you brothers have been sitting here under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God has not given up on you, brother. Why don't you give Jesus a try? I want to invite our prayer team participants, leaders, elders. I believe God's been speaking. Yeah, he has. Yeah, yes. All of us have made horrible choices in our life. But the message of grace is not that we serve a God of a second chance. I used mine up a long time ago. But we serve a God of another chance and another chance and another chance. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. That's the God I serve. On this Mother's Day, would you mark it by repentance? Woman, I want you to know you're more valuable than you think. You matter to God.